Imagine if we were actual media, not just two idiots with the microphones. If y'all were actual media, you wouldn't be at my house right now. Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get. Where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. It's too hot to fish. Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And today it's another part of our road trip and the hog tripping road trip. And we're here with... Michael Letchworth. Sam Jones. And you guys are with Sam Jones Barbecue. Um, I didn't think I needed to say that. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be surprised what Texans don't know. I I thought y'all were supposed to know everything in Texas. We just think we do. (laughs) About beef, not about pork. There you go. So obviously this is a this is a big episode we've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, we've been planning this trip for several months and trying to map out where we're going, what are the must stops, what are the stops we hope we hit if we have time, and blah blah blah. And it was from day one, it was okay, we're going to Sam Jones. Where else are we going to go? And so we're thrilled to be here. We're thrilled to be talking with you guys. You have a long history in barbecue, Sam. Um, Michael, you guys met a long time ago, and, and, and now you're knee-deep in this barbecue world, or neck-deep, or however deep you are in three years. over my head. <laughs> but uh, we, had a, we had a great meal tonight. Um, just the, the whole spread of food was, was incredible. Uh, your staff was extremely friendly. Uh, we, we just had a great time. And let's, let's get into a little bit of how this all got started. Sam, we'll start with you, because I know your, your history dates back, well, even before you were born. Yeah, I've got a bad habit as a, a true Eastern North Carolinian. If it takes me 17 words to say what most people can say in five, so I'm going to try to give you a more condensed, concise version. We'll take the cliff notes. Yeah. So uh, my grandfather opened up Skylight Inn July of 1947. Uh, he had trained a bit with his uncle, Emmett Dennis, uh, here in Aden, uh, Two of his uncles ran restaurants that had a barbecue component a block from each other, and they didn't care for each other. <laughs> uh, That's a tale as old as time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, he opened summer of 47, and up until, I would say, about the mid to late 70s, outside of finally being able to make a living just doing that, uh, nobody ever really took notice of him. Nobody cared. Uh, National Geographic published a book in, I think it was 79, uh, called Back Roads America, in which my grandfather processed as they told him he had the best barbecue in the country, uh, which they really didn't. But that was the way he processed it, and that was the way the story was told. And that was the first time probably since the summer of 47 that anybody outside of East North Carolina really cared in their mind. Like, man, somebody finally has noticed we're doing something. Even though they weren't trying to do anything. And it was it was whole hog back then? Oh yeah. Always always since day one. Yeah. In the early days they sold a variety of different things from hamburgers and hot dogs, beer. It stayed open until eleven o'clock until nineteen seventy one. Wow. <laughs> uh, and so it's uh, my grandfather got out of the business in the summer of 04 due to help uh, and it was immediate overnight he's out hmm. and then he died about 18 months later yeah sadly that that seems to happen more often than not you know um yeah one it's important to know it's one thing that we've talked about a lot on the show is 
how how long a lot of people cook barbecue without any of the glamour that goes along with barbecue. And, you know, it's it's easy to forget that today's age where you're in the world of barbecue celebrity and barbecue fame and things like that. But for a lot of people, for a very long time, this was a job. It was a living. It was a way to provide, and it wasn't you know it wasn't a rock star job and it's still not a rock star job even for the people that are doing it now people just kind of think it is but but your grandfather did it for 30 years before anyone recognized what he was doing so it's i think it's important for for the listeners to really think about that and really process that like this this is work you know i know it's 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 fun for all of us to go in there and take pictures and do our videos and all the goofy stuff that we do but it's work you know it's work for the people that are doing it day in day out and to do it the right way is you said you said something pretty interesting that he did it for 30 years before anybody noticed. Most people retire before 30 years. Yeah, true. <laughs> and and you're lugging around whole hogs. I mean, it's, these things are not lightweight. You know, even though a brisket may run 10, 20 pounds, what is the what is the weight of a, a hog carcass that's ready to cook? What we use uh, is around 180, 190 pounds. That's where we like to be. You're throwing that stuff around, and and I noticed um, your current pit. Some of those have the you can rotate the pigs in the pit, but I doubt they had that back then. That was all, no, all manual hand work. We did it by hand up until three years ago. <laughs> so I mean, it was a. It, was it pretty much the same menu that served at Skylight today? As far as the the slaw is, is pretty traditional to to your family. Or? It got cut. The menu got cut down in the seventies. Um, how it whittled and whittled and just became barbecue. I don't know that anybody really has a specific date or time or event that caused it to happen. Uh, but sometime in the late 60s was when the transition got made. To, we're just going to do barbecue, and that's it. And up until, other than we always had chicken when we catered, but in the restaurant, up until 2009, it was barbecue, coleslaw, cornbread. You can get it in a paper tray, or you can get it on a bun. That's it. We didn't even have sweet tea until 2005. Wow. Wow. <laughs> when I started working there, the sweet tea was in, like, the Lipton soft drink, like, button. Like, <laughs> yep. it was, so it was, like, from a syrup. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't real sweet tea. Yeah. So how old were you when you were working there, Michael? Uh, I started when I was 16. So that was in 2003. And were you, were you working, were you, were you cooking the food? Were you working in the front? Or what, what were you guys doing? What no, I, I, I started out working the counter. Okay. Uh, that evolved to the first back then. Skylight was like a a place that had like six people that worked there, and so the guy James who cooked the hogs, he also chopped the pig, and then there was a couple of us that worked up front, and we were only there because Mr. Pete was out of the business, and so was another family member of two. So there was a need for some other help to come in. And so it started off as just a front line kind of fixing the trays and serving the customers, but that translated into being a dishwasher and a chopper and everything else because it wasn't really a position-type restaurant. You, if you worked there, you did everything except for cook. Um, and mainly the people who cooked was James at the time that I was there who's still around there today. I didn't even cook my first pig until 2013 that was with samuel um out on an event somewhere what what made you want to get into the business when i first got in it it was because i met samuel when i was younger uh, about 13 or 14 
and just looked up to him. And him and his buddies kind of took me under his wing. We're kind of the big brother. I was the only kid and just somebody cool. I, I looked up to him. I thought they were cool. And so whatever those guys did. He didn't know was, any better. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for that. You know, yeah. Whatever those guys wore, I wanted to wear. Whatever those guys did, I wanted to do. And at that point in my life, it was these guys on the fire department. I want to be a volunteer fireman with them. And I want to work at the barbecue place because that's what they're doing. Um, so I started then, and it was an after-school high school job. You know, I worked there during the summers, and I worked there at, from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock every day during the week and on Saturdays. And it was something that I didn't appreciate. It was something I saw no value in. And I, I did, it wasn't demeaning or anything like that, but I just knew that it wasn't what I was going to do long term. It was a job, not a career for you. A hundred percent. I went to college. I quit a couple times. I went to school for construction and I had this great plan that I was going to start my own trim carpentry business and I did that for a total of like three months and then I was back at Skylight and it, it was just that kind of back and forth type deal just trying to find my place and, and I got an internship for the program I was at the university I had to have a 500 hour internship and I did that and got hired on and then after a couple of years of working with those guys, Samuel invited me due to lack of help at Skylight to go be a part of an event. And it was the first time I've ever really experienced an outside perspective of really appreciating what we were doing, uh, showing gratitude just for the whole process. And it gave me a new pride in it because I took it for granted and I thought that what we did on a day basis didn't matter. We were just a small barbecue place in a gravel parking lot off a side street in nowhere Aiden. Uh, and that kind of just changed my opinion a little bit and threw a comment out there that I'd like to be a part of it if I could be. Didn't know if it would work out. And here we are today, sitting here three years, almost three years in, owning a restaurant together and uh, traveling the country, doing the same thing that we did years ago that nobody cared about. You said your first first hog cook was in 2013. Yeah. What was, was It went perfectly well the first time, didn't it? Well, I, well, Usually for, it doesn't. But, well, yeah. it wasn't a solo cook by any means. So Sammy was there, and I was literally just there, like helping shovel coal. So it wasn't a. Uh, I, I don't even remember the exact date the first time I ever cooked a pig by myself. And for the longest time, I don't know that it ever was really that situation. And we would tag team it. Somebody would start it. Somebody else would finish it. And in what we do, the finishing it can be just as important as every hour you put into it. Um, the way we sell it with crisp and that skin. I was going to say, yeah, let's talk it, about yeah. that finishing because your your finish is unique and, and it's been one of the things that's really talked about in whole hog cooking. What, what you guys do is different from what a lot of people do and it creates a really unique product and really unique final product that the customer gets and we got to experience that tonight and it was, it was incredible. I personally wish I knew more about the origin of why we even do it that way. Are you? I don't know that anybody alive in my family could tell us uh, it's literally one of those. Most of the time when you ask an old school barbecue person a question, they give you a shoulder shrug and say, oh, that's just the way we've always done it, uh, which is really not an answer. <laughs> and But I don't have the answer to that. That's one thing that I know has been very different about our style versus even people in our own community uh, in eastern North Carolina. It's completely different uh, because... So many times, skin's a byproduct 
or it's, it's either discarded or it's used to fry up and do it, you know, do something weird right. with it that to us it would completely change the dynamic of our product if we took the skin and separated it out of that meat. Right. It, it kind of separates that's us. Kind of, yeah, that's, that's kind of important to explain to if people don't know. So the the skin is chopped up along with yeah. Well, you, you guys crisp up the skin during the, the the last part of the process. Is that correct? Yes. And, it, and it's chopped up with the with the whole hog. Yeah, it's chopped very finely and added to the meat evenly. So if we chop a half a hog, half a hog's worth of skin is what's going to be put into that amount of pork. And it's <laughs> sometimes I wish that my family had never done it. <laughs> Because this is a real pain sure, in the tail. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you got, I mean, you're walking you, you, a tight road. You got to peel the skin or cut the skin. What What's the process for that? For pulling to it blister off? it. Yeah. I mean, well, once you do it right, the skin comes right off. Uh, when you cut a half a hog or a quarter of a pig, bring it in, throw it on that cutting board. You can grab the shank of that hog, yeah. hold the skin up. Um, got lucky on some before at events where literally we just that hot look. Last time we were in Austin cooked the pig and the skin was so good that we couldn't pick it up wow like typically we'll just cut it in half and then quarter it you pick up that quarter put it in a hotel pan using the skin almost as the bowl mm-hmm. and it'll be that rigid it firm firms up and gets <clears throat> right. rigid. it's yeah. crisp yeah. but it's, it's firm enough it'll hold it and this skin had gotten so i mean it was almost glass-like to the point that when i reached down and we didn't have gloves bless our hearts had clean rags that I was trying to use as gloves, and it just went right through the skin. Wow. All this hot grease was running on my hands. I'm freaking out. I was like, Michael, yeah. I'm about to lose this meat. <laughs> well, I'm about to drop it in the pit. It had expanded so perfectly that it almost like wrapped around the bar. So the one key component to explain a little bit of what, what we do is a lot of people cook pigs on expanded metal. So there's extreme limitations to how much that skin can expand when it crisps, where we use... Um, metal bars and they're spaced about six inches apart so that skin really has a chance to puff out and bubble out between those bars um, and in this situation she's talking about it, it expanded and like the bubbles had almost touched so you couldn't lift up wow. so when you put the more firm pressure it started cracking the skin we're texans we take credit for everything so we're gonna say it's the austin air that created that <laughs> yeah it was yeah, the yeah. Yeah, the perfect humidity right. it was the perfect like 140 degrorees coming off the it, asphalt the, the right vorticity in the pit yeah, yeah that's right that's right yeah it, it's all texas thing. that no, was probably yeah. the hottest day i've ever cooked barbecue in a smokehouse in any situation i've never been as hot as i was that day yeah, i thought i was having a mini stroke or something <laughs> That's Texas. Yeah, that's Texas. Woo. We have mini strokes every day. That was in Franklin's parking lot. That's asphalt, yeah. Yeah. So you, you get the double heat. You get the humidity and the heat of Texas, and you get the asphalt parking lot of Franklin barbecue. But, yeah, I mean, the, the skin mixed into the hog and mixed into everything in those bites is just, it's it's an awesome experience. Yeah. And, and, and you season it with a little Texas peat. Hot sauce, uh, vinegar, salt, and pepper. Very, very Un, little. Unadulterated. Yeah, keeping it simple and, and just doing it the way it's been done in your family for decades and decades now. I mean, that's that's been kind of what, what we've learned, just the traditions of barbecue and the things that we, we love about all the stories that we get to hear is just how those things get passed down. You may not always know how or why something's done. Like you said, sometimes it's just the way it's been done. But 
it, it's one of the cool things to sometimes it's kind of better not to know the answers to those sorts of things like the mystery of it's kind of fun at least for me is to is you know to not know why that's done but it, it's done because it creates that final product that is signature to your style of barbecue yeah you know it gives no one a else unique spin that. on and that's what's that's what's fun so far on this trip is that the places we've experienced they're not the same everybody has their own unique spin um digging into that a little bit i think this is the first place we've seen that that's cooked with oak most places are cooking with hickory is there any any particular reason why oak was around or I, my personal belief and I've, I've said this before on panel discussions and as barbecues become trendy and you made reference earlier of a barbecue celebrity and being a name or a figure in barbecue you also just stated the fact of keeping it simple but as barbecues become popular I feel like these lines have blurred where personalities feel the need to make barbecue more complicated than it really is. Uh, barbecue's peasant food. It came from poor people, made by poor people, for poor people. Uh, there was nothing flashy about it. It was a food of survival. Brisket in Texas is popular because rich people wouldn't eat it. Whole hogs was done one more as a survival but it became a communal thing in rural south of hog killings in the wintertime uh, where everybody would get together and hey let's make it a community effort barbecues to always kill been these a community. Hogs. they're yeah. gonna butcher them they're gonna always cook at least one to feed the gathering yeah and then every part of that animal was used and preserved in the form of sausage country ham uh tom thumb that was a you take the belly, the actual physical stomach of a hog, and use it in a way to preserve something else of that animal. It didn't have to be discarded. And so that was a long way. Of, that was my 17 words <laughs> to say five. Uh, but I think all your old school places used what was native and abundant in the area. Um, going back to, to how Skylight originated, how you grew up in it, was was did you always know the barbecue was going to be your whole life? Was it just that was how it grew up for you, or no? What I hated it, um, and not just that I hated barbecue, but <clears throat> so where like you guys are pumped about barbecue. Y'all have driven halfway across America. We're, we're nerds. We're barbecue nerds. Right. I used to hate driving four miles to work because I didn't see I had there was zero value in barbecue. That was a job. I'd never, from my earliest recollections, there was never a time barbecue was not involved in what we did for a living, what subsidized our family, all that. And so it's not one of those, I'm going to cook for my friends once a month. That's what you did for a living. You didn't have a choice. It had to be done every day, all day. And I didn't care for it because where my friends worked regular jobs, Restaurant business, you, you're working when everybody else is off. That's when you make your money. Your gravy is on, like, Labor Day weekend. How many people, Michael and I know, that's gone to the beach and the river and all these places this weekend? So you get to watch that. Right. You get to In watch the restaurant that business, you, you don't get to do in the that. Office, you know, you, you get to serve people's vacations. Correct. Yeah. Right. I mean, you are in the hospitality industry. No different than hotels. They're busy on holiday weekends. Um so, no, I didn't like it. I hated it. And um, I went for about three and a half, four years that I 
worked in high school for one of my dad's former business partners in a gun shop and um, wrote a paper in college. I went to community college and I never finished because my granddaddy's health rapidly declined in one day. I laid out a semester and I'm still on that semester. <laughs> but the long story short of it was that paper was 10 or 15 pages on whatever. I really think in hindsight that it was the instructor kind of sizing up the intelligence of the class. Who was the dummies and who was the bright ones. And, and in my mind, I thought, man, if I'm going to write 10 pages on something, I'm going to do it on barbecue because then I won't have to put a lot of effort in it. <laughs> I mean, even then, I'm still trying well, it's to... what you knew. It's what point you, of least resistance. What you to. Yeah. yeah. And uh, long and short of it was it changed my perspective a bit and that it wasn't a job. You know, a farmer doesn't get up every morning because he's got a job. That's a lifestyle. Right. It's a way of life. And the restaurant business especially barbecue, if you look at it out of any other spectacle, you will be miserable. And you will live a miserable life. You'll die a miserable human being uh, if you don't enjoy it because it truly is a lifestyle. Uh, and it'll, you can either work it or you can let it work you. So let, let's go down the road as far as, you know, you came back to the barbecue world, you know, at, when your grandfather's health was declining and you're working at Skylight. What made you decide that, that starting your own barbecue business was, was something that you needed to do, you wanted to do? I use a, a line a lot, and Michael's heard all my stories. He's heard all my one-liners, but you know, the saying that the turtle didn't get on the fence post by himself, that is a true analogy. Uh, I don't care who your hero is, if it's a NASCAR driver or a movie star, nobody's self-made. Somebody had some help at some point in time. They had an olive branch or a hand extended in an effort to help raise you up. And when my grandfather's health declined, uh, the, uh, that was summer of 04. So starting in the summer of 04, the next three or four years were some of the worst years ever on a variety of different fronts, from financial, emotional. Uh, so when he got out of the business, we closed out 04, was a pretty good year. Came into 05, and the economy was starting to take a dip. There was a sewer project <laughs> going on in the town of Aden that closed the street off that we're on. So as much of uh, you think Skylight's such a destination or whatever, if you can't get there, if the bridge is broken, you can't cross it. So that couple with all these... Perception. Yeah. Man, the rumors went around that well, the barbecue ain't the same since Pete died. They're going to sell it. They've already sold it. Um, man, I, there's no telling how many rumors that went around. And it had a negative impact, a real negative impact to the tune of over 20%. And I say this all the time and people's eyes swell up because uh, I'm not a guy that BSs people. I'll lay it out, I'll hit it right between the eyes. If the property 
at 4618 Lee Street was not paid for, we wouldn't be talking right now. We wouldn't be sitting at this table doing a podcast because it would be a name spoken of in historical reference. Because we had some lean years in 05, 06, 07, and 08. And in the summer of 05, a young lady I dated for a long time, she and I were in a car accident. She was killed. I was 23 years old. My grandparents on the Jones side, I mean, I grew up, these were not the grandparents you visit at Thanksgiving and Christmas. I was with these people every day. Um, so she got killed in August. My grandmother on that side of the family died four months to the day. My granddaddy lived two months after my grandmom died. So in six months' time, we ain't making no money. I've lost my girl, the girl that I thought I'd marry, put her in the ground. The two people that I spent second to my mama the most time with, we put both of them in the ground, and we're not making any money. Uh, there's no romance that exists. Didn't nobody know who Sam Jones was, nor did anybody give a shit, to be quite frank about it. We were doing the same thing these people had done, except we weren't making any money. Because we come from a family, most of those old school barbecue people are awful teachers. Because they think that they, they didn't write anything down, even the well, recipes no, and everything. It's not even that. It's it's more almost cultural because those people, especially um, that generation, <clears throat> they want to be the smartest person in the room, and if they're not, they want to elude that they are, and if that means that they have to steal some knowledge from you. They will. What they don't realize is they're handicapping their own self by doing that. So my grandfather didn't give a lot of instructions. You know, the buck stopped with him. If he didn't give it the blessing, it didn't happen in our family. And so he's gone overnight. There's my dad my uncle. And they had more years than I had, but less knowledge of what to do. And so, I mean, it was, it was like three of us. Might as well have been Ronnie Millsap beating a cane on the ground, trying to figure out how to go down this road. That there's snakes on one side and alligators on the other. And it wasn't until, two, let's see, 2000, summer of 08, our main cookhouse caught fire and burned. I mean, might as well just say burned down. And we didn't have the money to rebuild it. Uh, we literally tore the roof off of it ourselves. Me and my uncle. And it took us a while, a little while to rebuild it. We used our, there's been two smokehouses at Skylight since about 88. And um, it was just freaking bad times. What, what caused that fire? Was it? Uh, a combination of not keeping the inside roof clean because it was wood frame. Not keeping the dust and ash and stuff like that off of it. Coupled with a grease fire in the pit. Winds out to southwest at about 35, and super low humidity. Wow! It was like a were it was a bomb. Were you covering the uh, the pits with where they covered with steel, plywood, aluminum? Aluminum back aluminum then, and it completely melted away. Wow. It got so hot in that building uh, because incidentally, I was the assistant fire chief at the time, and it was so You're hot. Not the, the fire chief of Eden. Now I'm currently the chief, but. It was. It got so hot in that building, the long pit 
man, it's still in there. It's four foot wide and 23 feet long. Fire started around six. At 10.30 that night, there was a foot of water in that pit boiling. To my four and a half hours after the fact. Uh, I mean, it was insane how hot it was. And the lids that were in there, there wasn't even... Uh, I mean, there wasn't anything that would lead you to believe that there was lids on that pit. Well, aluminum burns, right? Completely yeah. consumed. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, I had an opportunity uh, afforded via the Southern Foodways Alliance. Wanted to shoot a documentary film on Skylight Inn. They came, a uh, filmmaker by the name of Joe York, shot it, and really wasn't that big of a deal in our mind because we had experienced some press in the 80s and 90s and so it wasn't crazy to have somebody there with a camera the following let's see that was in the beginning of 08 excuse me it's the beginning of 09 they shot that film they invited me to go to Big Apple Barbecue summer they were going to show the film and wanted me to do a little Q&A I mean, 09010 seems to be kind of around where barbecue started really, not just popular, but it became more of a phenomenon, I think, at that time, too. You know, things were, things were I don't want to say superstars or pitmasters or celebrities, we hate using those terms, but it seems like it, there was kind of a, a, something kind of turned the corner at that point to where maybe, it, maybe it's social media, I don't know, but it, it became more popular. I mean, everything became more visible the stories became more powerful i mean i think part of the whole thing is kind of why we're able to sit here today the big apple and, and no no it, just social media. absolutely opportunities he was afforded but just this whole new you know um just everybody giving praise and and appreciation to barbecue because when you talk about when he talks about the struggles from a different perspective, like he, he was responsible for operating that business in those times. Um, I entered that business when his grandfather, Pete, was still alive. So his mind wasn't all there. He wasn't able to function in the restaurant, but he was still alive. So to everybody anywhere, Pete Jones was still cooking pigs and doing whatever they thought Pete Jones did at that time. And I would show up to work every Saturday morning. There would be people lined up outside to come in when we opened those doors at 10 a.m. And then Mr. Pete passed away, and I worked in that same building on a Saturday morning where I'd be lucky to serve three people before 11 o'clock. And it completely went down. And that sewer project he talked about, it was a lot of timing of things that really did just kind of stack up. Perfect storm of bad. Yeah. Yeah. But you look at the flip side of that now, I left the business in 2010, and now you walk in there on a Saturday and it's back to the same way. I, they're thriving more now than they've ever thrived. Um, and you have to tip the hat to some kind of, you know, just appreciation that, of, of barbecue in general and, um, well, and awareness. Getting over that perception of because this person's not here anymore, everything's going to change. And I know that's that's one thing that we've talked with. We talked with Wayne Miller about is 
in the old days of Texas barbecue, people would know the exact times to come in and eat because that person had cooked that night, and I'm only going to come in when that person has cooked. And when this other person cooked, it's not going to be as good. And 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 when you got that's perception those, more so than reality. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, but but especially when you've got those people that are that tied to what they perceive as this is good and this is not good. It, it's hard to break that mentality of people of. You know, this is how it has to be, and if it's any different than that. I knew what the truth was. The truth was Pete Jones hadn't cooked a pig in 10 or 15 years other than one a year for the family. They had a little celebration that tended our farmland once they quit farming. They leased all the land out to, uh, and they're uh, a big farm in our area, but they occupy all our farmland. Every year, even now, we cook a pig in the fall. They come pick it up, and they have a little shindig for all their staff that have worked all year. And it's more of a tradition now than it is a thank you or whatever. But that was the only pig he saw through start to finish every year. Hmm. And But in people's minds, he was almost a fixture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like changing the wall color, him not being there. Right. Uh, we, we have someone like that in Texas now. Um, we've talked about him a lot, Vincel Maris. Um he has owned and operated Taylor Cafe in Taylor, Texas since 1948. The man is 94 years old right now. And, of course, common sense would tell you, the man's not cooking barbecue every day at 94 years old. But I'm sadly positive that when this man finally is not in that restaurant every day sitting at that counter, people aren't going to come in because Vinsel's not there. And it's just the perception, like you talked about, Sam. It's, it's going to change because this person is not physically in the building. And even if that person hasn't physically been producing that product that goes onto your plate for months, years, decades, it's still that perception of it has to be this way because that's the way it's always been. It's a two-edged sword, in my opinion. And I probably, I am very different than my dad, my granddad, anybody else in my family that's cooked barbecue. One, because... I hadn't seen every opportunity as a thief. You know, most of the time, uh, your country rule people, anybody from the outside that's trying to teach them or tell them something is the devil. He might as well have a bifurcated tail and a pitchfork uh, because he's there to steal what you have. Rather than once I was able to, man, I remember walking around Big Apple Barbecue in 2009 going, how in the world do you get here? We've been cooking barbecue since 1947. We ain't here. And I looked at Pat Martin and Chris Lilly, uh, Mike Mills, and all these people. Like, they were just standing on the grandest stage there ever was. Now, all those people are my great friends. I comp- And I say I with the opportunities and not deflecting every opportunity was able to accomplish more in 10 years' time than my granddaddy did and my grandfather did. Uh, but I was able to accomplish more in 10 years just because of having a different mindset than either one of those two guys because of not... If you've got your fist held up, yeah, you're protecting yourself, but you also ain't landing any punches. No, you're, you're mostly covering your ears at that point. Correct, but you're also blocking... You, you, you're being defensive, but you're blocking opportunity. And I just found... Man, the first couple of years I was able to travel and do events, and it's all because of the Southern Freeways a lot. But I'd find myself sitting at a restaurant somewhere that I couldn't even read the menu. 
You know, I was just looking on there to try to find something. If I saw steak in this long list of words that didn't make any sense to me, I just didn't want to look like a fool at the table. But I remember sitting at a sushi restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina, and I finally conceded, and I looked at a guy. His name was Drew Robinson. He was the chef for Jim and Nick's Barbecue. I said, Drew, I need you to show me how to hold these damn chopsticks (laughs) because I cannot get it to my mouth. And we think that's funny, but it's because I'd never had that experience before. Now, I know how to hold chopsticks because Drew Robinson showed me in Charleston, South Carolina in 2010. (laughs) I ain't ashamed of that. Sure. Um, So I can continue to not know how to use the damn chopsticks, or I could ask somebody. Asking a question don't make you a fool. It will make you smarter after the fact. And I think that's the difference in me traveling and you find yourself sitting at a table you know i got to be a part of the fatback collective which if you go down that list of names that represents what the fatback collective uh, was and is uh, are pretty heavy hitters and now i'm in that company and i realize that you have two ears and a mouth use it in that formula and i just listen to these people if i had a question i asked them and they were more than glad to offer their knowledge. And who better to ask than somebody that's made the mistake? And so there would be no Sam Jones barbecue. One, if I didn't understand that you're not always the smartest man at the table. Uh, but knowing that everybody out there is not out to screw you over. There's a lot of good people. Uh, there'd be no Sam Jones barbecue if it weren't for, and I could just go down a list of names of people that help. The day we opened. Still helping today. Yeah. Um, Call for, a, you know, what do you do in this situation? You know, just all kinds of Yeah, advice. no different than where Rodney's getting it's his that, from It's right that now. shift of, of sharing information and, and you know, getting together and actually It's one talking. of the big changes we've seen in barbecue yeah, the last huge. several years is it's not that secretive society of I've got my thing, don't come near it, and you've got your thing, don't come near it. It's the sharing of information and knowledge has it, it's it's grown the whole barbecue world, whether you know across regions, whether it's Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina. Now here's the thing: is I could text Pat Martin or Billy Durney or Wayne Miller or anybody else that you think of as some baller in barbecue right now. Uh, it's almost eleven o'clock Eastern time. Hey man, send me the recipe for your ex. And he'll send it to me. Heck, Wayne's got it on his shirts. Yeah. There's, what I'm <laughs> the saying is, is there's yeah. no danger. You know, all these people that say, you know, I can't tell you that or I had to kill you. You know, it's like the Bush's baked beans recipe. You know, right. he, he's not telling. Yeah. I can teach you how to cook a hog just as good as I can. Matter of fact, there's a book coming out next year. It's got my picture on the front of it. Uh, that's going to teach you how to do it. Just like we do it. Are you willing to wake up and do it every day? Well, yeah, that, that's what, a huge you know difference. What you can't do, what I can't do, I can't be Wayne Miller. I can't be Pat Martin. I can't be the personality that created this thing that they do. Well, you are. Because when you walk in Pat Martin's place. You were there last night? There's yeah. all these. Yeah. I was there last night. Oh, I walked by it last night anyway. <laughs> uh, but there's all these subtleties that Pat Martin brought in there. It's not just about that recipe. Um, I walked into downtown store with Pat on Tuesday and 
I think he may have known ten more people than I did. Because that place employs two hundred people at that downtown store. He's trying to build something and he was talking to employees just like I was. Hey man. Because he didn't know their name. Does that mean he's not engaged? No, it means he had to create some layers in there. Correct. And so as long as that food ends up on your plate, I didn't make your food tonight. Michael didn't make y'all's food tonight. But the food that ended up on that plate was the food that he and I created. It was the pork that my family made years ago. And we made it better because we listened to what people had to say that knew more than we did. And so I can't... Wayne can send me his recipe for whatever. I can't be Wayne Miller. That concludes part one of our interview with Sam Jones and Michael Litchworth. Stay tuned for part two coming soon.